Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. too comfortable. Uh, I was listening again to Emma Stark from last week and she said uh, that she comes to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I thought, what a challenge, isn't it? Sometimes in church we just want to get ourselves comfortable and do what we're used to doing, but actually uh, God has this annoying habit uh, through his people of poking at us sometimes and bringing us a bit of truth, which means we can't stay where we are, we've got to change. And this morning, I'm going to be talking to us a little bit about the year of focus. That's the, the, the year that we're in as part of Ivy. That's the, the, the theme of many of our services. And uh, what I'm specifically going to talk to you about today is money. Oh, yes. I'm bringing you a money talk, people. So let's start at the beginning. Anybody like to play Monopoly? Pop your hands up in the air. Let's have a straw poll. Anybody hate to play Monopoly? <laughs> it's about 50-50, isn't it? I have a bit of a checkered history when it comes to Monopoly. So as a young girl, eldest of three sisters, I used to love playing Monopoly until the point when my younger sisters began to beat me. And then I really hated playing Monopoly. A similar thing happened to us. Uh, Steve and I, I don't know if many of you remember, but about 10 years ago now, crazy, uh, we moved out to Kenya. And uh, we, it was dark every night. We had to be in by six. And the evenings were quite long. And one day we found Monopoly in the place that we were staying. We were so happy we got to play Monopoly most evenings. In fact, we didn't play for very long because I don't like losing. And there was an occasion where I may have thrown a Monopoly board at Steve in frustration. I realised it was not doing me much good. And really frustratingly, our son Gideon, he's nearly six, he's ridiculously uh, intelligent and horribly competitive, found Monopoly in the cupboard at a house we were staying in and begged us to teach him. And we said, no, 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 you'll never get it. It's really hard. And annoyingly, he absolutely gets it and he loves it and it's what he wants to play all the time. But he, like me, does not like to lose. But I don't mind playing him at the moment because I can still win. <laughs> but what, do you know, there's a, there's a story that says Monopoly was actually um, something that was created by the Quakers and it was supposed to be something that showed us how awful capitalism and the, and the pursuit of wealth actually was. And yet we've actually um, we've, we've, uh, embraced it, haven't we, as something that we love and something that we really enjoy to play. Um, but what is Monopoly actually based on? It's based on single-minded pursuit of wealth. It's based on competition. It's based on greed. But what happens at the end of every game of Monopoly? the pieces go back in the box. All that effort, all that energy, all that scheming, all that collecting, all that ruthless determination actually makes no difference because everything goes back in the box. And that can be so much like our lives. We can dedicate our lives to the pursuit of wealth. We can dedicate our lives to greed. And actually, when I looked at a definition of greed, it says, greed is an intense and selfish desire for something. It's all about me and what I need and what I can get and having more. 
You know, for many people today, that's what drives them. We only need to look at society to see that to be the case. Uh, that's why we've got rising inequality rather than reducing inequality, because some people go after the pursuit of money and wealth and power, really regardless of the other people around them. That's why we've got a lack of social housing. That's why you have to wait 10 years or more to move onto the housing estate that I live in. That's why families get sent all over the country because there isn't enough housing being built because the developers are doing stuff for financial gain rather than for social um, gain. We look more for money than we look at people. Um, that's why we have climate change because so many of us uh, want to pursue our own needs to get around and to um, burn fuel and all the rest of it. But we're not here to talk about politics. We're here to talk about something much less controversial. As I said, we're here to talk about money. <laughs> uh, next week, obviously, is our first fruits offering. So we just felt it was right to spend a bit of time in advance of that, making sure when it comes to finances, we're really aware of how we think about them and what place they have in our lives. So. I know when, we, when I say I might be talking about money, lots of you might switch off. You might be like, no, not interested, don't want to hear it. Perhaps you've had a painful relationship with money. Perhaps money has really driven you, kept you awake at night. Perhaps money never stays long in your possession. Perhaps everybody else has got a claim on your money and it just is a sense of frustration or shame. Perhaps money was something that you once had a real ambition for and then somehow it all went wrong and you got burnt. Or perhaps it's the case that you've got so much money that it's a constant pressure. How do I look after it? Is it safe? I can only put £85,000 in a bank account with the bank guaranteeing it. You know, all these sorts of things. How can I look after the stuff that I've got? Whatever it is, whether we've got too much, too little, or just enough, and I can imagine if I asked everybody in the room, most people would say they haven't got enough because that's how we're wired, isn't it? Um, each of us has got a decision and a decision-making capacity around money and a rule that governs how we get it, how we spend it, and what we think about it. And I just want to say as well, before we really dive into the Bible, that if you feel like money controls you, if you feel like there's a real challenge and a problem in your life around money, then this sermon isn't going to sort it out in one fell swoop. You need to get help. And there are people out there like CAP, Citizens Advice, Money Advice Service, hundreds of people that are going to help you, but you need to actually do something. You can't just think, oh, I want to sort it out, or God's going to help me. It needs a plan of action quite often to take control of our finances and stop our finances taking control of us. But let's get into the Bible, because that's what we're here. We want to see what Jesus taught us about money. So we're going to read from the book of Luke. We're going to look at chapter 12, and it's verses 31, no, 13 to 21. I've written it wrong in my notes. 13 to 21. And they're going to read this out to us. It's the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, 
You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take, like, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. It's a powerful passage, isn't it? Jesus doesn't mince his words. Uh, there's a style of preaching that I've heard about, which is called uh, tickle, tickle, slap. And uh, you say, you know, you kind of get the, get the crowd warmed up, you tell a joke, you tell them something nice, and then boom, you deliver some truth. I feel like Jesus possibly pioneered that school, didn't he? He, saw, he thought the crowd thought they knew what he was on about, and then suddenly, boom, he just pokes a finger in and says, you fool, you've got it wrong. And I just want to look at four things um, about this passage that I think are helpful to us. And then we're going to have a little look at how we might be able to use the truth to change our perspective, to change our focus. And then we're going to look at what we do about that practically. So this is the direction that I think we're taking. First of all, Jesus was initially asked by some brothers or siblings. It doesn't actually... Yes, it does. It says, tell my brother... Uh, to, to help them in an inheritance quarrel. I had a little Google yesterday, because that's the uh, easy way of researching these days. I don't know how preachers really used to do sermons before Google. I'm just, um, just wondering about that. But actually, do you know, inheritance quarreling is massively on the rise. And people who deal in arbitration between siblings uh, and between grandchildren are absolutely making a mint out of us. A survey in The Independent showed around 50% of people in Britain today do not trust their loved ones to uh, make good decisions about their money. Can you imagine? What a, what a telling statement. It said that 12.6 million Britons would go to court to contest a loved one's will if they felt like it, it, it yeah, if they felt they had a problem with it. It's sobering, isn't it? And obviously, you know, sometimes wills go wrong and things happen. But ultimately, in our nation, we are prepared to take our nearest and dearest to court over money over the finance of another person who was supposed to be one of our nearest and dearest. Money has divided families. It sets sister and brother, grandchild and mother, you know, whole families apart, and it is a bitter, bitter quarrel. There's a rising tide of people who are prepared to use the law to, um, to get money that they think is theirs, that they think is deserved. And it's tragic, isn't it? And Jesus speaks into this situation. He says, who makes me an arbiter between you? He's like, I'm not going there. I'm not going to talk to you about your, relate, your money. I'm going to talk to you about something else which will expose what really is going on here. The second thing that we learn about the man in the parable, when, he starts, when Jesus starts to tell the story, is that this guy's got a disease, and it's called eye disease. And it's nothing to do with these. It's to do with himself. If you read through the passage again, he talks about I all the time. What should I do? This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns. I will do this. I will do that. I will have a nice time when I've got all my stuff ready. He talks only about himself. He doesn't ask anyone else. Even when he asks the question, what shall I do? It's a rhetorical question. It's a question to himself. There's nobody else around him. He's an isolated man. He's a lonely man, perhaps. He's a man who really relies only on himself. And actually, God doesn't build us to live as individuals. He builds us for community. So this guy is cut off 
uh, something that he was created for in order to pursue himself and his own ambitions. I listened to a great talk here on Monday by Ben Jeffrey. Many of you know Ben. Uh, he used to lead Ivy Kingsway and he came to speak to us at the message and he, um, he brought his record player along. It was like a really visual message, it was great. And he got out a record and he says, most of us have a record playing in our lives and that record is me, 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 me. I won't say he sang, but he can, so that's why. Um, and, uh, and he's challenged us, actually, to say, that's not the records we want playing in our lives. Our lives are not all about me, myself, my gain, my comfort, my security. Things that we think might be valuable, it's not all about me. It's all about other people. We are not the centre of our lives if we say yes to Jesus. He is the centre of our lives. And we need to start to make some subtle shifts in our decision-making and our habits if we want to really outwork that in the day-to-day. The third thing that I want to talk to you about is the fact that it was evident from this passage that the man worked hard. He had ground, he had an abundance. You know, farmers, I know farmers, my dad's a farmer, they, they work hard, they are not slackers. You very rarely, if ever, enter the farming profession if you want an easy life. You're battling against life and death, you're battling against the weather, you're battling against the ground itself, which can be uh, very difficult. This guy had clearly put in some time and some effort to become rich. In fact, it suggests that he'd put in so much effort that he really hadn't had any time for eating, drinking, or taking life easy, because that is what he was looking forward to when he stored up everything that he needed for himself. And actually, you know, we've got a certain uh, status, haven't we, for those in society who work hard and who earn their own money. We don't really like people who come by money for easy gain. We don't particularly like people who suddenly win the lottery and suddenly are rich and splashing their cash around. We don't love celebrities who, you know, by looking a bit pretty or singing one song, suddenly become minted. But there's a bit of kind of social distaste for that, although actually that's what many of our younger generation aspire to, isn't it? Easy money without the hard work. But we do put people who work hard and do a good job on a pedestal. And I think this is a bit like Jesus' method of preaching, that tickle-tickle-slap thing. He starts to explain this guy's life. He says, once there was a man and he worked hard and that man had a field and that field actually produced an abundance of harvest. And, uh, and everyone in the crowd will be sitting there going, what a great guy. Hasn't he done a good job? Hasn't he worked hard? Hasn't he got everything he needs? And he says, you know, this guy's got so much stuff that he actually doesn't know what to do with it. And so he has to have a conversation with himself about what he does with his surplus. And, um, and yet, suddenly, in comes the truth. That guy's not the hero. That guy's not the role model. That guy's got it all wrong. His priorities are totally wrong because he's only looking after himself. Because all that money is for gain, his own selfish gain. It's not for anybody else. And when he dies, who's going to have it? Where's it going to go? What difference is it going to make? I think as well, just as a side note, one of the things that challenged me when I read this was do we work so hard sometimes that we're waiting for a later date to eat, drink, and be merry? You know, that's not the core message of this sermon, but it's just a little thought that popped into my head when I was preparing last night. We can also be like that farmer where we're so driven, we're so, um, 
was so intent on uh, making the money and sorting ourselves out and getting everything, getting our ducks in a row for that later date that actually we can be missing out on life today. Missing out on relationships today. Missing out uh, on things that are precious today. And it's a massive challenge in my life these days. So I went from being full-time at home with our kids to full-time at work with Steve looking after them. And most days I ask myself the question, did I do the right thing? Should I be at home looking after those kids still? Did I sow enough into them? Is it enough for them to have uh, a different parent at home and not me? Is it enough for them to see me at the weekends? Am I making the most of them? And it puts a lot of pressure on our weekends sometimes. Yesterday morning, it was a beautiful morning. Our, we didn't have any plans, so we were going to go to the park and have a great time. And there was all this pressure about this ideal time because we don't have much time. And then we all fell out and it all went wrong. And uh, we ended up in two different places with a child each because uh, we just got ourselves worked up into this scenario. But, you know, our, don't miss out on relationships because you're so busy pursuing work, working hard. Working hard is good, but working hard for God is good and the best thing. Working hard just for financial gain means you lose out on relationships really for nothing. The fourth thing that I just want to highlight from this passage was the fact that everything that this guy was preparing, everything he was investing in was for his own future, was for his own comfort. And actually he was investing in something that he had absolutely no control over. He was investing in something that he had absolutely no ability to guarantee. In fact, no one has any ability to guarantee. However rich we are, however poor we are, however many uh, insurance plans we have, however much booper cover we can afford, however much um, uh, care the people around us can bring, ultimately each and every one of us will die. There is a 100% mortality rate upon being human, and that will never, ever change. None of us gets to duck that. So if we invest all our money in preparing for a later date, that's a risk, because that later date might never come. He put all of his excess in barns, in storage houses. They were stored, but where did they go? He could have put that money into people. He could have put that money into hungry bellies. He could have put that money into his family. He could have put that money into education. He could have put that money into healthcare. He could have put that money into helping other local farmers learn his amazing skill. But actually, it was all about him and himself, and he held it all up. See, Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, helps us to put into perspective what went wrong with this guy. And Jesus, in another part of the Bible, teaches this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I told you earlier that I was going to preach to you about money. I'm not really preaching to you about money. I'm talking to you about your heart. I'm talking to you about the attitude that drives your decisions. I'm talking to you about your priorities. Um, you know, actually, when it comes to money, God's not really that bothered about how much you have or don't have because it says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In Psalm 50, verse 10, it says, for the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. God is not short of cash. God does not need your money. God's 
plans and kingdom purposes are not going to be inhibited uh, if you don't give cash, but they could be advanced if you do. God doesn't need your money, but he does desire your heart. It's all his when it comes to cash. We just get it on loan. And then when we go to heaven, it all goes back in the box. Eugene Peterson, who is an incredible Bible scholar, he wrote the message paraphrase of the Bible, says this. says, life's basic decision is rarely, if ever, whether to believe in God or not, but whether to worship or compete with him. So often we compete with God, don't we? We try and get for ourselves what was meant to be his. We try and hold on to things that were meant to give away. We try and, um, and do stuff that he's asking us that, that, that really is for him to do. What is the meaning of life? Jesus says life does not consist in abundance of possessions. But that's the narrative of our society, isn't it? That's the story that the media tells us. That's the story that Facebook tells us, that Twitter tells us, that Insta tells us. Uh, what we have, what we wear, our perfect home. You know, we've been a bit sucked into the IKEA catalogue over the last few days. And it's insidious, isn't it? You're like, you want a picture frame. So then you open the catalogue and then you're like, oh, I don't just want a picture frame. I want a bookshelf. And I want something that looks like that. And I want this as well. And it's just one little decision. And then suddenly you're obsessing about how you could change your entire home to look like some Swedish minimalist beautiful thing. Um, and our whole society is built on a decision to make us buy. Really, that's what the whole society wants us to do. It tells us that we have a lack, that we have a need, that we're not sufficient, that we're not good enough unless we buy, unless we buy into something, unless we spend our cash on something. And yet Jesus is saying life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So what does our life consist of? If God wants our heart, not our money, if this, if this truth is going to transform us, what does it consist of? Again, Jesus says to us, um, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. That's in Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39. I feel like in this passage, it really sets out the priorities that this guy was missing. The first one was loving God. Not with a bit of your heart, not with something that you've got left over, but with all of your heart, with everything. Charles Spurgeon, uh, a preacher from uh, London, said this, The one way that you know Jesus Christ is precious to you is that nothing else is. Can we say that as Ivy Sharston this morning, as Ivy Church, even just as an individual? I'm sure I can't. So I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, if there is anyone in the room, that's amazing. But I know there's a battle, isn't there, for our hearts and for our attention and for our focus. That's why we're spending a whole year looking at this, because we want to get it right. And we want to shift it and we want to do the little bit of work every day that changes it. The first thing that Jesus calls us to do is to love God. We were created to love him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a bit of writing, says... Um, our chief purpose was to love God and enjoy him forever. And I love that. I've always remembered it ever since I learned it on an Alpha course, incidentally. You should definitely go on Alpha. Um, we should, we're built, we're created, we're designed to love God with all our heart. And we're also created for community. 
In our work for um, Eden, we place teams of missionaries in uh, estates that are in the bottom 10% of deprivation all across the UK. And one of our um, key statements is this. We say to people, the opposite of poverty is community. You know, poverty isolates. Poverty sets people apart. Poverty carries shame. Poverty says to people, you're not good enough. You've failed. You've done a bad job. We can overturn poverty with community by coming together, by blessing one another, by caring for one another, by being interested in one another. That's how we can change uh, some of our most tough places, is by actually building some bonds and building some bridges and building something that looks a little bit like what Jesus had in mind. This passage shows us that the fool missed out on God and he also missed out on others. And those are the two things in life that we need to focus on. So, do we believe what God says? We need to change our focus. Can we get our relationship with God right this morning? Can we get our relationship with others right? Often we struggle with other people because they're not like us or they annoy us or they do things that frustrate us. And yet, you know, the church is not made up necessarily of natural friends, is it? This is some teaching that I heard from a guy called Tim Keller. He says, the church is made up of natural enemies. If you look at those 12 disciples that Jesus picked, there's no way that they would have ever had anything to do with one another in real life. And yet sometimes in church, we only seek out those who are like us and those who have the same taste in music as us or those who are at the same age and stage as us. But actually, if community is going to be kingdom community, it needs to look a bit different. We need to start including people who are not like us. We need to start bringing in people who don't sound like us, dress like us, look like us, speak like us, smell like us, all those different things. That's what true kingdom community looks like. So we need to be challenged in that. Where have we pushed others away? Because we're afraid of what that might mean to us. Where have we made a safe and holy place? that we don't want changing because it's safe. It might be holy, but safe is not, in the, in the, um, is not what we get to sign up for. And finally, how can we get our relationship with money right? How can it be that money does not look, control us any longer? It doesn't keep us awake at night. It doesn't cause us uh, to, to make our decisions with it always in mind. How can we remove that from our hearts? How can we put Jesus back in the center? How can we be rich towards God rather than rich towards ourselves. It's all possible because Jesus calls us to it and he helps us in it. So what I'd love us to do, if you're able to stand, is stand. I've not, I didn't do an Emma star, I can get you all up and down and up and down and up and down. But there is, there is power in movement and there is power in our voices, there is power in speaking. So what I want us to do um, is just to pray. And maybe one of those things in particular um, stood out to you. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I need to get myself right with God in this year, in this year of focus. Maybe I have let other things slip into the center of my life. Maybe there is an issue with others. Maybe relationships have been hard. Maybe you are looking to keep a safe holy huddle and God needs to challenge you in that. And perhaps money is just the big issue. Perhaps that is the one thing that you've been hanging on to, desperately holding on to, uh, thinking that there's not enough uh, and there's never going to be enough, so you have to hang on. But actually, God doesn't call us to hold things with closed fists. He calls us to open our hands and to hold things lightly because he promises that he will be enough and he will provide. 
And so sometimes to step into the truth of that, we need to open our hands and let go of some of what we have that is our security blanket or our safety net and really let God be our safety net. Let God be all he needs to be. So perhaps if you're able, you can put your hands out. I'm just going to lead us uh, in some prayer. I'm going to pray over you guys. And then as um, Pete starts to pray, play behind us, maybe you just have a little chat with God as well about what it is specifically that you need to address this morning and get right with him. The Lord Jesus, we just want to stand here this morning and confess that we've not always had you at the centre of our lives, God, and we're sorry. This morning, Jesus, we pray and we ask you, God, would you come and take your rightful place in each of our hearts, God? Would you be the centre, God? Would you be the focus? Would you be the first, Jesus, in each of our hearts, God? Would you tear down any idol that we have built up in ourselves, Jesus? Would you tear down any lie that we've been believing in, God? Would you tear down any myth or any sham that we have felt to be truth? And would you replace it, God, with yourself and a vision of what you would do through us to build your kingdom in the days that we have with you? God, we desire to worship you in spirit and in truth and in fullness. And secondly, Lord, when it comes to other people, we get that they're difficult at times. God, we get they can be difficult and frightening and frustrating. But God, would you restore us in our relationships, Jesus? Lord, we know you built us for community. We know you built us uh, to make a difference through people, through relationships. That's how you work. That's why you came to be part of our, our nation, our community. Jesus, would you restore relationships in this room right now? Would you bring healing? Would you bring forgiveness? God, would you bring understanding? Would you bring clarity? Would you break through? And finally, Jesus, when it comes specifically to money, God, would you just enlighten us, God? Would you give us revelation how we deal with what it is that you've lent us for this time, God? We don't want money to, to, um, to control us, God. We don't want having too much or having too little to be what we think about all day and all night, God. We want to rest peacefully, Jesus. So, God, would you speak to us? Would you allow us to open our closed hands? Would you allow us to trust you in this specific area of our lives, particularly in this coming time? Now just speak out your own prayers to God and then we'll go into a bit of worship. You can do it out loud, you can do it under your breath, you can do it in your head, you can do it in your own language, you can do it in tongues, however you want to. But just speak out to God. God, I'm sorry for this. Would you help me get it right? Would you come and be the centre today? Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.